Turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 10. We continue our study through Samuel. We'll read 2 Samuel chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites, but the princess of the Ammonites said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rechab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Mecca with 1,000 men, and the men of Tov, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rechab and the men of Tov and Mecca were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people, for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobot, the commander of the army of Hadadezer at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadad-Ezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. 
And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would speak to us now. That we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And that the sheep would know the voice of their good shepherd and know him and follow him. We pray that you would drive back the opposing power and open our eyes that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up and know him and trust him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. David, father and warrior. I'm learning that those LED bulbs, you know, those bulbs that are supposed to last 20 years, that when they go out after about 18 months, they start blinking. The fluorescence just slowly get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. But the old incandescent bulbs would get really bright just before the filament finally burned up. This passage is King David's moment to shine brilliantly before things begin to unravel. The rest of 2 Samuel is dismal. For King David. But today, let's watch him burn brightly one last time before things begin to fall apart. First in this passage, we see wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly. Look at verse 1. After this, the king of the Ammonites died and Hanan his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan son of Nahash as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. Now this is a wise thing for David to do. It's good statecraft. The king of the Ammonites has died his son becomes king, so now David sends a delegation. Now notice David says, I will deal loyally with Hannah, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. Now that word there, loyally, is, a, is the same word David used in the last chapter to describe how he wanted to treat Mephibosheth. He wanted to treat him kindly. It's the same word. Kindly here, it's translated loyalty. And remember, David had made a covenant with Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, to show kindness to his family. So David wanted to be good to him to keep his word, keep his promise, his covenant. Now, apparently somewhere along the line, David had made some kind of a covenant with Nahash, king of Ammon. 
That was likely back when David was on the run from Saul. Now, never mind where, whether David should have covenanted or at least bargained with the, the Ammonite king, but he did. And once he did, it was incumbent on David to keep his word. Well, now that Nahash has died, David acts both as a wise statesman and an honest man. David shows wisdom in the way he deals with the Ammonites. But Hanan, the new king of the Ammonites, he returns wisdom with folly. Look at verse 3. But the princess of the Ammonites said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hip and sent them away. Now Hanan, he listens to, to really bad advice here. You know, in a few decades, David's uh, grandson, uh, Rechoboam, will make a very similar mistake. But, but you see what they do, his advisors uh, tell him... Uh, they haven't come in good faith. They're here to spy out the, the land. And, and so they, they humiliate David's men. They, they shave off half the beard, one side of the beard, cut off their clothes at the waist, exposing them, and, and then send them back. Now, I know that a preacher is not supposed to say the word uh, stupid in the pulpit because we don't want our children to start saying that word about people. It's bad manners. So I won't say that word. I won't say it again anyway. So instead of that word that we can't say, I, I was searching for how I could describe Hannon in a realistic way without uh, bringing shame on the, the sacred desk. So how about we call Hannon a mute donkey? This is complete and utter foolishness. What does he think is going to happen when these men in this condition, half their beard shaved off and their clothes cut off at the waist, what does he think is going to happen when these men get back? This is sheer foolishness. The quote is likely apocryphal, but it was attributed to Japanese Admiral Yamamoto on December 7th, 1941, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, that he said, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. This is what Hannah has done. So we see wisdom and folly. Secondly, in this passage, we see fatherly compassion. Look at verse 5. When it was told, David... 
he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. Now notice that David's first reaction is to care for his humiliated men. You know, it says he he sends to meet them when he he hears about this so they don't have to come walking back in this condition all alone. He sends an escort. And then he sends them to Jericho and and puts them on sabbatical, gives them R&R until their beards have, have grown back. David here is being a good father to his men a good father to the nation, the good king takes care of his people. Oh, Matthew Henry says that we ought to note David's tender concern for his servants that were thus abused. He sent to meet them and to let them know how much he interested himself in their quarrel and how soon he would avenge it and directed them to stay at Jericho, a private place, where they would not have occasion to come into company till that half their beards, which was shaved off, had grown to such a length that the other half might be decently cut to it. He doesn't want his men to be embarrassed, so he sends them off and says, you just rest until your beard has grown back. He's a father to his men. So we see wisdom and folly. We see David's fatherly compassion. Thirdly, in this passage, we see just war. Just war. Look at verse six. When the Ammonites saw they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rechab and sent and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Macho with 1,000 men and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the hosts of mighty men. Now note, David did not start this war. He had sent a, a diplomatic envoy to the Ammonites. They returned it with extreme insult. But even then, David did not immediately attack. First, he took care of his own men. But now the Ammonites realize they become a stench to David. Now now again, what did they think was going to happen? But yet they're the ones that start the war, not David. They hire Syrians, Machite, and Tobites to help them. Then when David gets his intelligence report on the forces confederated against him, he sends in Joab with the army. But you notice David does not immediately send in the army after the initial insult. That would be an overreaction. The Ammonites did a terrible thing, but they didn't kill anyone. But now the Ammonites start the war. There are few things on this earth more wretched than a warmonger. David's a warrior. 
but he's not a warmonger. Unfortunately, in recent years, the concept of what is called a, quote, preemptive war has gained a lot of traction. The problem with the idea of a preemptive war, of course, is it lends itself to very easy abuse. If you wage a preemptive war, you started the war. And you can never be sure that it couldn't have been avoided if you hadn't been the one to start it. Now, there's no need to project weakness. David fights if and when he has to. He is a man of war, just like the Lord himself. Exodus 15 says the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Like the Lord, David's a man of war, but like the Lord, David does not start the war. But also like God, David does finish the war. Look at the outcome of it. Verse 18, and the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadad-Ezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. David is a great fighter, but he's not a fight starter. He's a fight finisher. So we see wisdom and folly. We see fatherly compassion. We see just war. Fourthly, in this passage, we see a good speech. A good speech. Look at verse 9. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said... If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. And now we know from previous experience studying uh, Samuel that that Joab is a self-serving, cold-blooded murderer. Yet here, Joab makes a great speech. He gives a great sermon. Be courageous. Do your duty. Let the Lord determine the outcome. How does Joab preach such a good, mercifully brief sermon? All I can say is a broke clock is right twice a day. Listen to this man, Joab. Don't worry about the outcome. God has the outcome. 
Just do your duty. Christians today worry about many things. What happens if a same-sex couple wants to be married here? What if my male child decides he wants to transition and be a female? We need to spend less energy worrying about what somebody, some group, or the government may do to us and a lot more energy just doing what we know God wants us to do. If I'm asked to marry two men or two women, my answer is no. God says I can't do that. If my boy wants to be a girl, my answer is no. Don't worry about what comes after that. Just do what's right. God will take care of the outcome. He's bigger than the government of the United States or any other country. So we see wisdom and folly, fatherly compassion, just war, a good speech. And fifthly and finally in this passage, we see a picture of history. A picture of history. Look at verse 19 again. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadad-Ezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. Now, you know Psalm 2. We quoted it several times because the, the truth of it plays out in the life of David many times. Psalm 2 says this, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You know, that's the history of the whole world in a nutshell. The kings of earth band together against God and against his anointed to throw off his sovereign rule and law. That's what the whole world does. But God wins. And here in this small event, in the grand scheme of world history. Ammonite, Syrian, Machaite, and Tobite kings take counsel together against David. And David is the Lord's anointed king. But David wins. The Lord wins. David was the Lord's anointed king who pointed to his anointed Messiah, Christ Jesus. The whole world is at war with the Lord and with his Christ. God did not start that war, but he will finish it. If you'll turn ahead to the end of the Bible, Revelation 6. We'll leave this in Revelation 6 today. Revelation 6, 12. The 
very end of the Bible. Revelation 6, 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. I note well verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, they're the ones who took counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? God wins. He will defeat the kings of the earth who took counsel against him. He will defeat everyone else who did not surrender to him. He is coming. And when he comes, he will conquer and destroy and pour out his wrath on all his enemies. From the kings and generals to the slave. And they call out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. When he comes, people would rather be buried alive than face the wrath of Jesus Christ. But notice it says the wrath of the lamb, the lamb who was slain, the sacrificial lamb. So the lamb has already borne the wrath. You don't have to face the wrath of the lamb if you lay your sin on the sacrificial lamb and accept, receive, and rest upon him alone. It's paid. The Lamb bore our sins. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world has suffered the wrath that we deserve. But if you refuse Him, there will be nothing but the wrath of the Lamb. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.